Is it my turn? All right. I guess by that you would never know that I'm from the South. Uh, and uh, I'll, it'll come out quite a bit. Uh, and I was thinking that since uh, every, you all are on the left coast, that, that you would be much, much more informal. And so I wanted to be all things to all people. And so, and so I took off my, my coat okay, and, and I rolled up my sleeves. I have jeans on underneath the uh, video and I have sa slide sandals on with no, with no uh, socks. I, you know, my, my wife says you're not supposed to wear socks with those things. So I, I'm doing what she told me. Um, but you'll probably be disappointed. I did tuck in my shirt. I just, it just something I did. And, um, I, I am like, this is, this is the first time doing this. My, my in-laws or my, my father and my brother-in-law and his wife are out in Oregon. Um, not sure exactly where. Uh, so, uh, we've been through Oregon. I've been into Portland, uh, years ago. It's such a beautiful state. Uh, so I, I, uh, appreciate the land and I'm grateful to know that there's a PCA church, um, in that area. Uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning is uh, the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter three. Now, what I want us to see as we're coming to chapter three is that the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he's begun the entire book about noting, noting the circle of all life that it's a monotonous cycle. You know, the waters flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. Uh, there's this, there's this uh, cycle of life that no matter what happens, it happens continually. And so what the preacher does is he said, I, I determined to know wisdom and folly and sensuality and all of these different things to find you know, a sense of of what life is about, and he, and he keeps coming to the same conclusion, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He keeps seeing that no matter what he seeks, and no matter, no matter what a man pursues, we all die in the end. There is nothing that we pursue in this life, even wisdom, that does not continue past the grave the idea is what we are in this life and all that we have comes to nothing in death now in light of of, of scripture and the, and the teaching this doesn't uh, take away from the reality of an afterlife or a, an afterlife with with god in terms of what we call heaven but what the preacher is doing is he is looking at it from a human perspective a fallen human perspective that the things we pursue in this life neither will neither benefit us in the end nor have any impact of, on us after we are gone and so he points to the vanity of pursuing the things of this world and the things of this life that we treasure so much and he keeps coming back to the same refrain 
God has given us good things to enjoy in this life. To eat and drink and take pleasure because this is the gift of God. So in this apparently vain life, receiving the gifts of God as gifts of God, which would include as Christians the, the good news of Christ, we are able to live in a fallen world that, that seems so disordered from what we expect and what we desire. When we come to chapter three, we come to a passage that after all of the vanity we've seen before, this passage has a foundation, a foundation in the sense of not all things are vain in the fullest sense, because there is purpose in these things. There is a purpose in them. And as you move on in chapter three, you begin to see that this is referring to the eternal uh, realities of God, where he is working out all these things and making them have purpose, have meaning. So let's read chapter three, verses one, one to eight, and then we'll We'll think a little bit more about this passage. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This passage in many ways is well known in our culture today, at least uh, in the uh, decades that followed the 60s. Uh, we, we all likely know that song sung by, it's either the birds or the yard, yard birds. I, I always get that mix up. I think it's the yard birds. We have any hippies in, in the congregation that can tell me? No, no, we can tell me. I think it's the birds. Birds, okay. Thank you. Uh, I'm used to teaching on Zoom, so I'm, I'm expecting people to respond to me, but bear with me. Um, so that has made this passage well known, but not the entire passage and certainly not the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. So on the one hand, we see where there's biblical concepts in the culture in which we live in various ways. And yet the knowledge of what this means is lost on the world in general. What I want us to see as we look at this passage is I want to see that this passage is telling us that not only is, are there events like these in life, but that these events are purposed by God and they have a purpose in our experiences. 
So if we have any uh, children, boys and girls, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to think about the two main points, which will be the idea of which word for time means which point. And I want you to be able to summarize in the best way you can the points that are being made. And I want you to listen for something really closely. I want you to tell your parents when you hear it, I want you to tell them how many times there are double statements in these seven verses of chapter, or verse two through verse eight. How many pairs of words? Okay. All right. The first thing regarding time is that there is an appointed time. An appointed time. In verse one, we find a term that is translated season. Season in the in the ESV, that is. And this, this word actually means an appointed time. There's two different words in verse one in the original Hebrew. And so you have a season and you have a time for every matter. And these are two expressions of time like we would use to indicate two different concepts. The first, as I said, there is a season, meaning God ordains things that come upon our lives. So it means that these experiences, these seasons uh, are purposed. The appointed hour is the idea so that even the smallest things that we experience in life have the hand of the sovereign God making it come to pass. Here's what this means in terms of God's ordaining that's in view. It means that every aspect of life, what we know and don't know, including the molecules that, that, that exist to make us what we are, the molecules of the world around us and the molecules that make up all of the universe, which is beyond our conception, which is in space and time, which God is outside of as well, because uh, space and time are created order. This God works out all the things from the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top to bring about every event in your life. Now, this is beyond understanding. This is a, this is a, this is where we hit, uh, we hit the brick wall and cannot penetrate any deeper. This is where we see the reality that God truly is in complete control of not just our lives, but all of time. And using the, uh, the words of Psalm 130, uh, 139, in, our, in his book were written all the days that were ordained for me. And so that concept comes out very clear in the use of this word, season. Now, what else does this mean? It means that each of the following uh, couplets, so the use of two words here, each of the following verses show us on a spectrum 
that there is a time for everything. What this is called is a literary vice known as a mirrorism. Now, you, you can't think of mirror like, we're, like we think of looking in a mirror. It's M-E-R-I-S-M. And a mirrorism is a literary device that takes two opposites and it uses them as all-inclusive of everything in between. You will see this all over the Bible now that I mentioned it. It's going to drive you crazy, but at the same time, it'll drive you, uh, it'll drive you in your understanding of the, the greatness and the breadth of God's uh, purpose in all things. So think about the idea God created the heavens and the earth. The idea is two opposites, but everything in between. So everything is the idea. So David saying that I, I cried on my couch day and night. That means all the time, everything going on. And so there are, uh, there are 14 pairs of couplets, pairs of mirrorisms from verse two through verse eight, 14 total. And there are two pair uh, in each in each verse. So each verse has seven, and then all the verses together ha have uh, 14 total. Now, that means that there is a time to love and a time to hate, and then everything in between. There is a time to be born, then there is a time to grow up and reach the climax and come down and it's done. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, right? To kill and then there's maiming and then there's, then there's hurt and then there's, and then there's uh, joy and it moves on to total healing. God says those are the experiences we have in life, but not only are all these the experiences that we have in life, God has ordained these seasons in our lives as they have came about, so they are the expression of God's purpose. Now, remember that we can't read providence looking forward. The way we understand providence and can read it in any way is looking backwards. And even then, we, aren't always, we don't always understand why God allowed certain things and, and purpose certain things in our lives. But there are those times we can look back and say, the Lord was doing something there intentional that I didn't understand, but at least I understand in partial, in partial manner, in a partial manner that that moved me and prepared me for what I'm doing now in some way or what I'm experiencing or what I'm helping other people with. So those types of things we can read backwards, but we can't read providence going forward, but we must remember that the ordination, foreordination of providence is set so that whatever you are going through in your life at this moment is the purpose of God from eternity. 
And the very fact that he focuses on you to that degree, especially as one of his children, to know that is what ought to overwhelm us and give us a sense of awe that there really is an appointed time by God for everything that we know in this life. That he cares to that degree. And the proof that he cares to that degree is because that eternal God became man. And he died for our sins. He united himself to humanity, to the creation for all of eternity future. In Christ, there will never cease to be God and man. God united himself to human nature so that God might be with human beings for all of eternity future. And we don't even understand what that means. It's just a way we can describe the idea that it will never end. That we will be with God through our Savior. Now, this shows us that life is not random. This shows us that life is not meaningless. This shows us that God's purposes are being worked out. And we also see that God's purposes are being worked out in our lives to get our attention. To force us to look at life from his perspective and learn to trust him more than to live a life of fear and anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's what the sovereign providential creator uh, God in Christ did in teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount that we read earlier, our New Testament reading this morning. He says, why do you worry about all those things, about what's tomorrow? He says, he says, he's saying you can't live tomorrow now. And apart from general preparation, what he's saying is that those desires drive us, wanting security, wanting to know where tomorrow's money will come from, wanting to know that when we get older and are ready for retirement, that there will be retirement uh, there. All of these things, uh, not just not just prior to these things, but these things in our life now affect us in ways that we don't even realize. And it makes us to try to live life in the future rather than living life today and enjoying the life that God has given us today. Do you see what, what, God's, uh, what he writes in verse 13? After referring to all of these uh, couplets or doublets he says god has put eternity into man's heart so that he won't know the beginning from the end but what god has done for him verse 13 is what he is to enjoy verse 13 also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil and all the toil of living in this fallen world what that means is we need to see that every good gift is from the God of mercy. And we need to enjoy the life he's giving, given to us while we have it and enjoy the good things of life that he gives to us. 
this is God's gift to us. And how are we going to enjoy that if we're worried about tomorrow? That last verse that was in that reading from the Sermon on the Mount literally says in the Greek, sufficient for the day is its evil. So sufficient for the day is the evil that belongs to that day. And what Jesus means is that you have to, you have to live in light of the sin now. The sin in your life, the sin in this world, all the events that take place. That is where you are living now, and that's sufficient. You need to figure out how to live in this world at this moment for Christ and enjoy the life God has given you, even with the evil challenges of this life. Enjoy the good things God has given to you. And when tomorrow comes, you will live that day. Well, we are awful about this with our schedules, aren't we? Scheduling out three and four weeks, even months. Our best friends, and you say, okay, I got 30 minutes right now if you, if you have the talk. Why, why is that? Well, I've got to make my run to the grocery store and then to pick up the kids and all of this. What, where is the time to enjoy the body of Christ? And not just that, to enjoy human beings. We are, we are often going with the, with the current and we have to learn that going against the current is what the Apostle Paul wants us to do. He says, uh, he says in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business, which is a very good thing in our social media culture. To mind your own business, to work with your hands. The point that he's getting, getting at is, is your, your life is not to be governed by the affairs of men that governs their lives. Your life is now to be governed by the gospel. You don't have to pursue riches today. Because your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you don't have to come with this elaborate plan for the future. Because who knows whether or not we will see tomorrow. And as the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, what will it all be worth then? Not only is there an appointed time for everything, there is an appropriate time for everything. The next word for time in verse one uh, is the word that, uh, that is intended to mean that there is an occasion or a place. It's much more temporal uh, in terms of our experience of this life as opposed to the purpose, hidden purposes of God. And so, what does that mean? It means our experience and our, our experiences in life have an appropriate time. And so when we think about uh, the first 
the first verse of verse two, it's a, there's a time to be born, right? There's a time in which uh, that experience comes. And then there is a time to die, that experience. And there's the, the time of experience we, we have all throughout. And then the experiences we have all throughout are listed behind us, are listed afterwards. There's a time to begin work and there's a time in which we can enjoy work and everything in between, that idea of planting and harvest. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. Even what well, he's saying in this a fallen world, there's a time in which we have to do what is right and just and, and justice is carried out by uh, a force of action. Our, the church has always believed in uh, just war, righteous war. And we see that in, in scripture and we see that in the Old Testament as well. So there's, there's a time for all these things. And there's also a time to heal. There's a time to heal from the worst experiences in which we have in life. But even if there's not, we got to think about this. Even if there's not a kill, time to kill for us, us doing it, there's a time in which the killing is taking place all around us. And it's our experience in life. It's our experience of life in this fallen world. And it is the things that we will experience in this fallen world. We are not immune or we are not uh, preserved or protected from all of the things that we experience from violence, from death, from loss, from attack, from defending ourselves. All of these things happen in our lives and that those times will come everything in between and so we have to realize that our experience of these things and how we respond to them do not reflect the nature of our trust in god they do not reflect the nature of our trust in god or our faith what am i getting at here when we have a concept of Christianity, which is extremely common in the United States, that when we uh, have strong faith, God will bless us with wealth and health. And even those little ideas of the more we trust God, the more he will bless us, that good principle then becomes a general concept in the world that if I'm doing good, I will receive good. If I'm doing bad, I will receive bad. Before this work, before this uh, concept of health and wealth, in particular in our nation, the people of God expected to suffer and die. Prior to the movement of modern medicine and all these things, they expected hardship in this life. They expected that this would come because they were never sheltered to the degree that so many of us are in this life. And so what we have now is the idea of material blessing is the sign of one's level of Christianity. If that was the case, then the poor apostle Paul uh, did not have a very good faith or a very good Christianity. And I'm not going to make that accusation. God's people have always suffered. 
just as humanity has always suffered. But God's people don't suffer without hope. That's the key difference. That the hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise to err in our lives and too loving to strike us without necessity. Now, don't tweet me on that. That was J.C. Ryle. I just want you guys to know that. I, I'm not that good at coming up with quotes. That, that's him. But do you see the depth of what he says? The hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise to err and too loving to strike without necessity. And so if we are in Christ, we can't lose because God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The book of Ecclesiastes ends with this. The end of the matter. All that has been heard or all has been heard. Now he says, Fear God. This is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed to light or every deed into, uh, into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so what is uh, the preacher saying? He's saying when all is said and done, we will all stand at the bar of judgment every human being and what is the only hope that a human being can have and it is god himself it is the judge himself so the statement there fear god and keep his commandments is is the idea of both extremes or both on the spectrum trust him like a child and through faith in Christ, do what he says. Trust and obey. And you cannot have obedience without a heartfelt understanding of the love of this God. When you know his love, and that love expressed in Christ in a way that is unimaginable, that changes the heart and says, I will obey him, not because I have to earn his favor. I want to do this because he's already given me his favor. Whatever he wants, I want to do because he has purchased me with his blood. And that changes our attitude, doesn't it? That changes our attitude for how we live how we think about morality, how we think about uh, what, what may be the best application of this biblical principle or another. Why are we doing this? Because our Savior loves us. There's no other reason that will move us apart from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We confess that we aren't always uh, living with our thoughts fixed on your word. 
we confess that we often interpret the world from our own perspectives rather than putting on the glasses of scripture and interpreting things through your perspective. Make us men and women and boys and girls who love the truth and pursue it because we know the truth is the revelation of our God in the Son of God. Please apply this truth to, these truths to our heart even now. In Christ's name, amen.